I, I always hope and wish and pray even that people can take, say, learn from myself and others who've gone right to the edge of death because it's not a given, right, that, that uh, people come back from where I was at by any means. Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. I'm Petra Belzebor, and this is the place to discuss tips, tricks, and hacks to build your resilience through your worst rock bottoms and get you to a place of success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life, professionals, individuals who've been through their own adversity, and allow them to share their authentic and real life stories, opinions, and ideas about how to utilize our worst rock bottoms and allow them to catapult us into success. Welcome to the show. Welcome everyone to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Uh, we've been trying to arrange this for a little while. I've got Beth Martins on the end of the line. She's a business and archetype coach. She helps women entrepreneurs and also men who need to survive success. I mean, I think us women need to survive that as well, but welcome to the show, Beth. Thank you so much, Petra. It's really a pleasure to be here. I've been admiring your work for a while now. Oh, I appreciate that so much. So, so give our listeners a little bit more of an insight into what do you do? What are you passionate about at the moment? Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about purpose. I myself survived a stage four lymphoma in my late 20s. And it revealed to me how important it is for us to walk with the sense that we know what we're doing here. We understand who we are and what this you know, the meaning of this life actually is for us. Uh, so yeah, I help, I, you know, I help men and women practically on the same thing when it comes to the, you know, the blueprint of their purpose. And yet the journeys are so different. So for the most part, I'm helping women entrepreneurs to build businesses and up level and really be valued for their purpose. And for men, like, yes, they need to survive it too, but they get stuck in really different ways. They get stuck coming out of the gate Whereas men tend to, you know, they just barrel forward and they do whatever is in them to be done and they don't let anything stop them, but their health can suffer, their relationships can suffer. It becomes a like success at all cost kind of thing. So it's identical work and yet, and yet they're at different places. So. The stages, I guess, are, are sort of different. Um, and this is very timely for me. I've been in business for just over a year and probably in the last, Three, I know, right? I've survived this far. Um, but in the last <laughs> three months, I've begun to feel the physical signs of stress or, or not burnout, but like the, we could see it on the horizon if I don't sort of wake up and, and, and maybe invest a bit more in, in my body and the things to take care of myself in order to sustain the, the mission, the direction, the purpose, and all the exciting things that, that I'm heading towards. So I've been watching and listening to, to loads of content out there that's just about that the, the physical body and how uh, our body heals our mind and that whole connection. So um, I'm, I'm really excited, actually, to hear your, your story and just um, learn from it because um, that's what I, why I do this, really. It's so I can learn from, from all you amazing people and, and the purposes that you're, you're out there doing. Now, you got ill really quite young, and, and, and it's a story I want to delve into. But before we go there, just give, us, give our listeners a bit of context to, like, what was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? Do you think your family context kind of helped you build your resilience or get you prepared for, you know, life in the real world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much related. So I was born and raised by entrepreneurs. Okay. By the age of 
by the age of 10, my father, you know, he kind of had a nervous breakdown working for other people. He was a leader. He was a self-starter. He had a lot of, uh, you know, good ideas that nobody wanted to hear about when he was working in the ranks in different areas of his uh, expertise. And so the breakdown was, what I remember is one summer they, they shipped us out, all the whole family went off to Running Mountain National Park, which is here in Canada. And uh, we camped for, I think it was two months solid. And the whole entire time, him and my mom were building their business, starting their brand new life. And that was, you know, it was a massive risk to go off on your own. And it was a really, you know, a high level business where it was employees right away and high stakes and a lot of stress and a lot of intensity. But it gave me that window to freedom because, you know, I'm, I'm a real proponent. I'm not going to try to convince anybody to be self-employed or go off on their own. But if you already have that inclination, then I'm all for supporting you in your work that way because it is... Uh, you know, it's something where nobody tells me what to do all day long. And as a result, you know it now. Congratulations for on your first year, by the way. That's amazing. Yeah, appreciate um, it. So it's a level of responsibility that when you're in a job situation, it's very hard to imagine what that would be like. We, we gain, there's a certain dependency in it, even though there's, um, you know, there's responsibility of to get up every day and do your thing and show up. But it's a really a different kind of responsibility when you're, when you're off on your own. So, yes, thank you for um, saying that, you know, you're in business. Um, I'm, I'm imagining you as a child witnessing what it's like for, for, for your parents doing that. And you obviously have the kind of the itch to, to create things for yourself. But you've also very early on seen the, the downside or the tough side. Of, of the amount of stress and and perhaps um, parents being distracted from the family or um, that sort of thing. Like, what, what was that side like? What was the downside? Absolutely. You know, my, my father was a very strong man and, uh, as, as I mentioned, assuming responsibility for so much. So did my mom. But, uh, but yeah, I saw it wear on them. There were many days they would come home and, and have the message, like, we're going to lose everything. And it's, it was really scary. There, there, there was such a big risk putting themselves out there and in, in a high level of business in the corporate world where there's like a lot of huge demand and the results, like everything has to work. There's no like, oh, might work or might not. And so, yeah, I saw, I saw it wear on them. I definitely internalized a lot of that fear around money, even though we were doing really well, the family was doing well. And they took us on a luxury trip to Hawaii every single year. And we had a lot of things that, you know, I noticed that it was, there was a certain privilege in, in the lifestyle, but still there was a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of conflict. You know, my, my parents' relationship was so um, much in the business world that it wasn't one of those normal relationships and it often had stress and, and it was very conditional on the business. My mom was constantly wanting to quit and my dad was saying, if you quit, I'm out of this marriage. And, you know, so there was a lot of that emotional, personal stuff going on. I think what it ultimately gave me was... It's really a gift though, because now I have no fear whatsoever of mixing my business and my personal life. I've had many friends as clients. I often become friends with clients. I, I have like almost a love affair with them. There's such a close relationship. I tell them I love them. It's, you know, it, it, so, so it, in a way it was, even though it was witnessing something bad, I saw, I, I often could take what I saw and I didn't like and say, okay, well, I'm going to do it this way. 
this is how I'm going to make it. The whole time. Say that again, yeah? So learning from it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Exactly, how I could pivot and, and do it differently. I, I love teachers that show you how not to do it, and then, and then you get to you know, make your own change with it. Um, you know, so I, I worked for them from, from that age of 10. There was always something for a young kid to do. I loved making money. I loved having responsibility. It was one of those kids that I was always happier in a place of having some kind of you know, role in, in, a, in a situation. I didn't want to just sit back and watch or, or soak up the, the luxury of the life. I wanted to get my hands in there. And so I worked for them for a number of years. Every summer, I would come to work with them full time. And uh, I went through university. I came out with a degree, but I was trained for nothing. I, I studied anthropology, and, and while that was fascinating, it, it qualified me literally for nothing at, at the, on the other side of it. Uh, at the same time, I started traveling to India. I had been doing classes in meditation in university, which were for credit, interestingly. And that, that led me to take the first of eight trips overseas. I realized... At that, after that first trip, I was there for 10 months and I realized like, yeah, this is something I want to pursue full time. I'd like to live here all the time, but I don't have the financial means. So I thought that if I went to work with my family's firm that would give me the financial means and be, a, be sort of a, a means to an end, it would also be a way for me to be a grown up because I'm a born rebel. My first word was no. And uh, I was always balking the system. And uh, as a result, I was getting into trouble. I was having lots of weird experiences. And as an adolescent, I spent a night in jail. I was like, you know, lots of nasty things going on. And, and, and at that point, I thought, okay, Beth, grow up, have, have uh, take, take on, you know, while I liked responsibility, I liked my freedom, there was, there was these two things going on. And I thought, okay, just suck it up, even though you don't really like the corporate world or business isn't exactly your thing, just, you know, take it on and um, fulfill also when it comes to my family obligations. There, there was a sense of, I think growing up with that message of fear around money, there was always that sense of wanting to help with it, wanting to contribute, wanting to be part of it. So, so all of that mixed together, I approached my dad about uh, working for him and training and going off and doing some schooling. He said, okay, well, I'll, I'll train you and I'll pay you to do it. And then it was a kind of done deal. Next thing you know, you know, by, that was at 25 years old. Uh, or pardon me, that was more like, I think, uh, 22 when I was coming out of university. By the age of 25, he named me the vice president of the company. But by the age of, tw- mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, super amazing. It, it, talk about stress, though. There were there were times when I, I often say this that I would rather have thrown myself off the building we worked in than go inside and go to work. Right? Just incredible and, amounts of stress. And I know we're going to cover this later because this is obviously part of your learning and your your pivot, your transition into the work that you do. But it sounds like it makes sense that as far as a trajectory and even an opportunity to to work with your family and all the rest of it it doesn't mm-hmm. sound purposeful or like you'd ask yourself the questions of who am I and what do I want to do and what's my contribution? Like it sounds like you'd found little hints of travel and things that you enjoyed, but certainly you were on a path of, of sort of expectation and that you should maybe enjoy or appreciate or love this role of, of vice president, which you, you most certainly did not, at least at certain stages. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There were things I loved about it. I, it really brought out the business nerd in me. There was something that I that I loved about that. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't a total. You know, it was, I think it was there was love hate in the process. Um, so yeah, the, it, it it was um, it was a time for me to just dig in. You know, it was a parallel it was a parallel track, and I really saw the things that I considered I loved were like meditation, music, the arts. I, uh, I'm also a musician. I, I rarely, I, I even forget to say that I've got four CDs. For example, if you go on iTunes, iTunes, you'll find all my music. I had that, you know, I, I, I love teaching. I love doing workshops. I love the esoteric. I love going into a, a realm of of self-discovery. This has been an ongoing thing. Definitely since I was a child, I was going into trances. I was having psychic experiences. All of that kind of thing was in my background. And when studying anthropology, it was the study of cross-cultural mysticism and shamanism and medicine. Uh, Seeing how I, I had the feeling there must be something universal to every human being that was the basis for our divinity, our, our, you know, our God self, our spirituality, I was determined to find because there seemed to be so much conflict in that realm between countries, between cultures. There was always some war about religion. And so I was determined to find, okay, what is the common thread that all humans really share? And uh, so I discovered that. And then, and then, yeah, the, the business was like a means to an end, loyalty, um, you know, that sense of I should grow up, I have to make money, I have to be financially independent somehow, somewhere. So that's how, that's how that whole thing came to be. And then, and then I did love business. It was, I think this, it was a mixed blessing. The stress was, was painful, but it always pushed me and raised me to a level beyond my comfort zone. It pushed my edge. I got to grow very fast. You know, it was just this incredible learning curve at a young age to have that, um, you know, just have clients counting on me and having to get results every day yeah. in a world. Uh, yeah. So. so it's, it's sort of showing that the little drips of adversity that were coming in through, through responsibilities, through expectations, through, uh, you know, all the things that you just needed to do to push out of your comfort zone and show up. And in those doses, it sounds like it did push you and that you thrived and you, you achieved and, and all those sorts of, uh, good things that, that kind of balance right of resilience and, and adversity um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then what happens so you said in your 20s you discover that you're you're ill like what, talk us through that yeah by 29 it was my last trip to India I'd, I'd been eight times at, at that uh, at that moment and I discovered a lump in my neck and uh, I was avoiding you know I had a fear of western medicine I was avoiding even going to the doctor about it I was sure I was just being a hypochondriac I would find myself in the shower every morning, banging my head against the shower wall, saying, okay, how do I get out of this? By that point, I knew that my work was toxic, that I was not thriving. I was you know, not able to fight off any cold or flu that came my way. I could feel the nickel and dime. I was relying a lot on caffeine just to get through a day. Um, I remember you know, one of the the pinnacle jobs that I did. I worked 48 hours in a row for one client. It was insane. It was like we had an event and it was, there was a full stop in terms of the time. There was, it was absolutely unforgiving. And, uh, and then on, on that, what I thought to be was going to be a break in India. It was never a break in India. That country is nutball. 
Uh, I went through a long period of insomnia, like I think about five days without sleep. And I find this lump in my neck and I get sick with a cold. So it was kind of when I got back, I thought, okay, Beth, you can go to the doctor. Uh, I went to the surgeon. Again, I'm just expecting to hear that I'm a, a hypochondriac, that there's nothing really wrong with me. I go in there, I left my office. It was I, the last time I ever saw my office. He gave me that diagnosis and it was my ticket out. It was my, my reason. I finally had a reason to just walk away from my job. Uh, you know, at, up, into, up until that point, I, couldn't, I didn't know how to deliver that news to my family. It was, I'd made a commitment. I just wanted to stick by it. But uh, that, was, that was the end. So I, it, no, I didn't know it, but I was headed for a three-year struggle for my life. I was diagnosed with a stage four lymphoma already by the time I got into the medical system. It was, it was very serious. Uh, I, I tried to avoid Western medicine. That was part of my rebel fight. I didn't believe in it. I had studied, again, how many different cultures were doing medicine from a completely different place. I had a different idea about it. So I worked with a naturopath. I, I moved from Winnipeg, where I am in Canada, to Vancouver to work with a naturopath. Uh, I got some results, but not enough to justify the, or not just to justify, but not enough to, for the, for the naturopath, even to be confident. He said, go home, do, do, do Western medicine, get on, get on the table, do whatever they, you know, because I, ha- I actually had a curable cancer. A Hodgkin's lymphoma is considered curable. So I went, I ended up going through 11 months chemotherapy, like super intense regime. The healthier you are, the less, you know, the more, the, the more they think you can survive your cancer, the bigger, they throw the medical book at you. So it was very brutal treatments that took me down uh, systematically. Chemo is like outrageously damaging to the body. And, you know, I, had, I, I luckily at the time I had my spirituality. I had gone through those eight trips to India. I had all of this meditation under my belt. I had the philosophy of the divine, of immortality, all of these things that kept me going, kept me very positive in the process. I had teachers in my zone that were giving me advice, telling me, you know, just giving me encouragement and little nuggets that I needed along the way. But after the 11 months chemotherapy, I was knocked down so far that my body was not going to recover from it. I had a near-death experience where there was a day that I could no longer sit up. I couldn't use my hands anymore. My, my body had broken down so much. I, you know, I'd lost everything by that point. I had to move out of my house and sell my house to pay medical bills. I was living in my parents' book room, um, you know, gave away my cats, gave away all my things. I, I, could, I couldn't be responsible for anything anymore. I couldn't take care of myself or, or anything that was uh, in, in my possession. And so, you know, the, the light was falling that day. I, I thought, okay, this is it. I can't even be positive. I can't even sit up and, and uh, meditate and do, do the things that used to keep me going. Uh, you know, I just remember the light going down in the room. Everything was, was going down and I just surrendered. I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm just going to let go of my life now. And in, in that moment of letting go, something happened that was very unexpected, like a miracle. I saw who I actually am, that when all of my things and my possessions and everything I identified with, my hair was gone, everything was gone, my body was nearly gone, I saw 
that my true self is completely unaffected by all of that. There is, there is, it is impossible to lose who I actually am, that self that is really divinity or, or, or God or whatever name you want to give it. So all of the sorrow was gone. All of the, any sense of unhappiness, any sense of suffering wasn't there. In its place was this huge joy. And I'm, I'm just getting chills think, listening to you, just thinking about this, this process. So you got chills of joy. What was, what was the joy? Where did that take you? It was, it was the, the, the vision of how complete we are. You know, I'd spent my whole life trying to get something, to hang on to something, to add something to me, to whether it was experience or qualifications or money or, you know, spiritual experience and, and uh, evolving myself. And, uh, and then I saw with everything stripped away, with everything gone, there I was whole. I was complete. There was nothing missing from me. I knew I could lose my body and I would still be that whole being. And there's an utter joy behind it. It's like, it's like the joy is always there. It's just covered up with so much fear. Um, I, I saw in that moment, I saw my purpose on this planet. I saw who I am. I saw my blueprint. And I saw that it's intimately tied with the people on earth that I'm here to serve, which is not everybody. I saw that there's a kind of lock and key fit with me and certain people who need to connect and learn with me and, and vice versa, that there was people purposed to be part of my um, existence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, there's I saw... So- just one last thing that I saw that we don't get out of our purpose, that it was a kind of contract or agreement, that it was binding. And if I wasn't going to fulfill it this lifetime, then I would just have to come back and do it again. Okay, deep. Um, and there's so many directions I want to, to take this. One is, based on some of the, the, the content that I've been watching recently, is do you think that that adult lifetime of stress, uh, toxicity, uh, dealing with you know low level adversity consistently over time had an impact or made you sick you know yeah it's it's hard to say like we're we're all calling in the circumstances we need to get our lessons and for the most part like your your, your podcast really attracted me for that exact reason for the most part it is adversity that's what drives us mm-hmm. and I, if i hadn't hit the wall with my health I would probably have limped on into infinity in that situation that was completely out of alignment for me. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, I, I always hope and wish and pray even that people can take, say, learn from myself and others who've gone right to the edge of death because it's not a given, right, that, that uh, people come back from where I was at by any means. It's an exception. And so if you can learn from other people's adversity, and start to take the lessons that, you know, take, take lessons. Cause I think we get incremental messages where we're always getting, uh, we'll get a little sign. If we don't listen to the little sign, we get a bigger sign. If we don't get the bigger sign, we get a, you know, it, it, it starts to escalate to a point when you can't look away anymore. And that's been, that's been part of the mastery over the years. If anything, I've started to master, it's listening to the signs when they're smaller going, okay, I know where this is headed. I've seen. I've seen I've seen a total knock them down breakdown already, and uh, so 
there's there's continuing adversity always. Life life is always going to present new challenges, and you know I've had many more breakdowns, but the, but they're never nearly at the volume or or level that that was. And I, I do want to go into into your recovery and how you've gotten to sort of the building blocks to getting you to where you are. But I'm I'm really curious because it relates to so many people this attachment that we have, and I do it all the time, this attachment that we have to our entrepreneurial identity, to our, our roles, right? Whether it's being a parent, whether it's being a wife, girlfriend, husband, whatever, um, uh, attachment to things. If I just have the right house, if I just have the right space, and even if your values aren't connected to material possessions, you can still have an attachment to um, surroundings or, or people or safety, whatever that, that feels like for you. And it's so endemic in our society with, with consumerism and, and, and that's the, what the definition of happiness is, right? Which is if you just get to this level, then you'll feel some, you know, and we're, we're constantly um, sort of chasing that. Um, and I recently, given these small signs, you're talking about the small signs, I'm probably in like, I don't know how many stages there are, but the early stages of going, shit, if I don't do something, I'm going to have to answer for it later, right? So I'm trying to listen without as much pressure as being sort of completely flat. Um, and I'm trying to make those choices now based, based on that. But somebody asked me, who are you if you don't have your work? And, and of course, it's conflict. It's challenging because my work is purposeful, but it's also driving me to a place of physical destruction sometimes. Um, and, mm-hmm. so, and I was like, shit, like, who is my, what is my identity if it's, if it's not that? And what you're saying that's so beautiful is we are enough. Fuck all that. Yeah, our purpose, <laughs> you know, our purpose yeah. can be, like, I felt in purpose. Um, the other day, and, and I, I passed by a homeless guy on the street, and I know we clocked eyes, and I just went and sat with him for thirty minutes, and we just chatted. Mm-hmm. And told me story and, Beautiful. You know, you know, I was just in the moment of alignment where I felt like I connected and could slow down enough to see the purpose and the opportunity around me, rather than my usual constant on phone while I'm walking, you know, like moving, moving, moving quickly. Um, yeah. So, so say more about that. That I mean, you surrendered because you were at the, the end of it, right? You almost didn't have a choice but to surrender. Is, mm-hmm. Do you think there's a way for us to detach from those identities without needing to be on our deathbed? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, again, learning from others, just simply watching what they did and not doing that. It's the best technique ever. And, and to me you know, what was the big key turner? Because this wasn't the end of my journey. I, I, I went into remission as a result of this vision that I had of myself. I literally turned a corner. I went from uh, someone who was, you know, diagnosed with that cancer. There was no cancer left anymore after that. I, now, I, I never did recover from the chemo. 18 months after that, I couldn't get my strength back. I couldn't get my energy back. And I had a second diagnosis. This time, they figured that I was going to die. And so it was, a, it was a different thing. There was like, um, you know, it, it pushed me to a new edge that I thought I had already been at the biggest edge I could be at. And yeah. this, but this edge was the valuable lesson. And it's the answer partly to your question here is that, like you said, you know, you're living in, in a purposeful way. You're already doing very meaningful work. And so what it made me realize, and by that point, I had adopted so much of a healthy lifestyle, completely changed my diet. I was, you know, seeing a, a counselor all the time they were coming into the hospital to see me. Um, 
I was doing working with energy workers. I was doing all the chemo. I was doing all the naturopathy. You know, like you name it, I was doing it. But here I was being given a death sentence, told I'm not going to survive, and I need a, st- uh, a stem cell transplant. Is my own was my only chance to live, which half the people die doing. So it was one of those like awful up against a wall, nothing, no, no good choices, no good options. And it was at that time that I discovered a a book by Carolyn Mace, Mace, uh, Mace, I hear it different every time. Uh, I think she says Mace. So that's it. That um, she wrote the sacred contracts. Mm -hmm. I had been following her work and it had helped me work through a lot of emotional stuff. And I just went and I grabbed that book and I thought I somehow, I didn't even know what the book was about. I just knew I needed the book turned out to be about archetypes. And and the very first thing I learned in it is the difference between doing something from love and doing something from fear, right? I was doing all the right things for my health. I should have by all uh, appearances been surviving that and I wasn't. So it made me see that I had been doing all the best things out of a place of fear right? I was afraid to die. I was afraid to be sick. And that fear was pulling in exactly what I was afraid of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. From a young child, I could trace back. I was afraid to be sick with cancer because I had a a family full of medical people that were always talking about cancer. And I, I developed an early fear of it. So it was one of those like, wow, this is fascinating. So, so the moment I saw that, I was able to, and I, and I started to discover my own inner archetypes, my own inner life was starting to come clear to me. And I literally tweaked one archetype. I went, you know, it, it, was, it was deep in a fear place. It was my rebel archetype. I tweaked it. I awakened it. I was in a place of more love than fear. And I literally turned the corner. I went from being a dying person to being a living person. I knew it. And then it was confirmed by tests. I, I refused my stem cell transplant. It was the first time my doctors never argued with me because I, I, I was always fighting with them and arguing with them about treatments. And it was the first time when I walked away from treatments, even though it was a death sentence, according to them, they were completely at peace with my decision. And, uh, and then I never had to look book back. I went into full recovery. So are you saying that just simply learning about that thread um, of, of sort of what you were possibly bringing into your life or your mindset around health stress, like all, all those sorts of things that were kind of unconscious because you didn't realize that that's what you were doing, that that like mm-hmm. knowledge and awareness allowed you to make the choice necessary and, and take the risks necessary and, and, and to have changed your kind of health trajectory? It was that, that pivotal thing that if we're doing something from a place of fear, it sucks the life out of us. Yeah, it's, you know, fear is one thing that is, it's a gatekeeper, right? There is absolutely no way around it. That, you know, the, the, the energy of it is, is a loss of energy. It's a loss of, of our life energy that, that uh, it's just, it's one of those, it doesn't matter what you think of it. If the energy behind something is, is fear, then that you know that that's the really that's a really important part to distinguish between energy gain and energy loss. This is something we all think we would know what that means, but we have lots of ways. You know, for example, we're very hypnotized by dopamine, and we can be you know if it, like the, the you know, one of the hormones in our body that makes us feel good, feel happy. 
right? And you know, you get a text and you, and you, you get dopamine from that. You you get a like on Facebook and it gives you a hit of dopamine. So we're we're hypnotized by it. We're we're tricked into thinking that that's life force, but it's really fake life force. And but on the other side of it is is it is an energy loss. And especially if you if you get addicted to that hit of dopamine, it's the same as the hit of caffeine or the anything that we think is giving us a boost yeah. and making up for and, and compensating for the energy loss that's happening at the level of fear. So so it, it just becomes like an awake decision, like, oh wow, that's that's fear, that's not serving me, that's that's kind of killing me, pulling in what I don't want. And then and then the only other alternative is love. Right? Love for ourself, love for our 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 world that we live in, love for the things that we're passionate about doing, that we need no reason to love. Nobody has to convince us to do that. And then and then it's all energy rising. It's all, you know, that's that's where the soul can goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It, it exactly you get into much more much more just the the things that you need show up the people you need to talk to suddenly are on your path the synchronicity that Carl Jung taught about can happen really easily um, yeah. does, does that answer your question at all 100%. like I'm having epiphany, mm-hmm. epiphany over here because right on. on the, because on the surface not even on the surface it's genuine my purpose is very genuine to me as far as the impact I want to create and the things that I want to do. But, you know, being raised in a cult and um, communes and not having much money and um, definitely not having any kind of belief system or trajectory that I could own a business or be educated or be seen as an expert in my field or be speaking on stages on, on the topics of mental health and resilience, like all those things. Some of what, and I'm an, uh, an ex-addict, right? So dopamine, I get what you're saying there is like, mm-hmm. I chase dopamine, like I feel a bit uncomfortable. I just say I'm a bit restless as a human and I chase the next thing. And so in business, um, that meeting, that win, that all feels good. So I'm like, boom, that feels good. Let me chase the next, mm-hmm. boom, that feels good, right? Let me chase it. But I'm hearing what you're saying is that the undercurrent can be very much, like I feel it, like what's fear-based? I'm trying to reflect for myself, which is, you know, fear of, of losing the business, fear of being seen as stupid as, as I would have felt as a child, being the dumb blonde, being, you know, all the things that um, isn't going to amount to anything or doesn't deserve love. And, and when you go, it's, it's quite binary to say fear and love, but I'm, I'm, I'm feeling what you're saying, which is like, because I'm trying to do the, the, the tech, technical thing of like, well, how does one do this, right? Like, what's the practical way that one cultivates the opposite? Um, and mm-hmm. in that moment when I spoke to the homeless guy, it, it was just about love. It was just about this is my fellow man and, and I feel a mm-hmm. connection and I want to, to speak with you. And I have moments like that, of course, throughout my life, but there are windows of being open. And I think there's some, some deep work for me, which is, um, you know, am I worth something without achievement or fighting for somebody else's cause or fighting for justice, right? Um, and, and in theory, I can, as a therapist and a coach, be, say like, yes, I am enough, you know? But like that mm-hmm. internal feeling is that I'm still proving myself. I'm still proving someone wrong by, by pushing in the way that I'm pushing. And so mm-hmm. the purpose can still, and I'm, I want to hear your take on purpose and, and what yours is, but the purpose can still be the same, it sounds like, but it's, but it's the driver 
it's the, it's the energy with which we're coming from that can make the, the biggest difference. Have I got that right? Because it's speaking to me. Yes. It's, uh, and that's how we cultivate that sort of energy. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm loving this. Okay. So um, tell us a bit about your, your path then to discovering your purpose. Because you've been in survival mode for a couple of years here um, as far as your health and as far as just trying to be desperate and understand stuff. And you begin mm-hmm. to, I know that you're, you're successful in what, what you do now. And we, we love to talk about the messy middle on the show, which is what are the things that, that you did to help you discover and, and then sustain, right? So continue to look after yourself, the, the, the purpose and the life that you're living now. Yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, purpose is a really tricky word, even though that's the main thing that I'm a stand for. But uh, if you look back, purpose is something that you can see in retrospect, right? So, so if you look back and you, and you look at how the events of your life go, you can very often see and tie it together how it really was part of one meaningful fabric. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but, but going forward, all you see is nothing, just a big blank, right? And, and so, so that, that pivotal turn and, and really what's at the base of, of that turn between love and fear, what's the technique is a decision. It, it's, it's, the, it's, it's bringing up from the consciousness what we don't see about ourselves. Be, being willing to go into the depths. That's why, you know, there's, I don't know if you've seen this, like kind of a mermaid theme around what I do. It's the watery depths, right? It's going into the unconscious that's the very classic symbol of the unconscious is is that d- the depths of the ocean maybe the bottomless ocean it's what we don't know about ourselves what we don't see and so becoming adept at that making it's you know you asked earlier about can we do this to ourselves and i say it's like yeah it's a blow your own mind program right take on things that are outside of your comfort zone make goals that are harder than you think you can achieve and it's going to bring up in you everything that's not at that level, that's not vibrating at that energy. And, uh, and so that brings you to that place of awareness and you meet your demons, you meet your dragons inside of yourself. You, you experience the feelings like, like addiction, for example, is something that has run in my family. And I said, probably, you know, is there a human that's not, not faced with that? Congratulations, by the way, for everything, how, how amazing your story is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's so beautiful, and and then so the best description I ever heard was from Marion Woodman of addiction, and it's like we're trying to be born. So part of the birth process, it's it's the pain. That's not just metaphorical. It's it's like the shit is coming up, right? I've been through this recently. I let go of something. I've, I've let go of a number of addictions. You know, I've got myself off sleeping pills and all kinds of things that um, were not good for me. I went through another la- layer. I could have gone on. Even a coach is telling me, like, you know, who cares? That's no big deal. That it, it, your addiction, if you try to compare it to anything, but I knew energetically yeah. it was sucking the life out of me. I knew it. And so recently I, I took, I took the risk of it. I could, I could feel I was like literally having panic attacks, just even considering dropping these addictions and, uh, and then, and then going through days of, um, and I'm kind of right in the middle of it right now. I'll just, I'll just let your audience know <laughs> that there's no, it's not like there's no, uh, at the end, right. It's like my addictions pop up in different ways now, even though I'm so mm-hmm. the last 11 years, but 
um, you know, uh, whether it's coffee, whether it's sex, whether it's distraction, mm-hmm. whatever the things mm-hmm. are for the dopamine mm-hmm. hit, right? or the escape, escape hatch, right? It's always with us. That's it. That's it. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, you know, when you're brave enough to say, okay, you know, bring it on, just, just bring it on. I, I, and, and, and the deciding factor is that it, it is that decision and what the decision is about, it's freedom, right? When you, when you decide on your freedom in, in a very conscious way, you call it in, then that freedom starts to pull you and drag you and uh, bring into your world the experiences that you need to have. It brings up that stuff that you don't want to feel. Um, you know, it's been, it's like, it's been very humbling my last week since this decision, this, what has come up in me. It's like, I, I don't even think I've been through stuff that that's bad, that is that bad. I know people have been through way worse, even yourself. Right. And, and yet, all of this stuff is in there. And what do you do? But just, you just bow down and go, okay, all right, step aside. Some trains coming through, let it come through. And, uh, and, and then it's all, it's all in the name of freedom. That's, that's the whole, because I want freedom more than anything. That it's a hard choice because it's, that could mean, I don't know what freedom means. It could mean losing my life. It could mean losing my child. It could mean losing my livelihood it could mean you don't we don't know what freedom means and that's why the vast majority of people do not want to go for it they're not willing to face it's it, you know another frame for me has been like not my will thy thy will be done right god whatever it is that you want from me i'm that's what i'm, I'm here to serve and and it's terrifying because i'm no longer chasing what i want but also you have to and like- control and and in a, a VP role or whatever your role before and in business there's a lot that you you want to control as much as possible to mitigate risk and to, to manage anxiety and all, and all the rest of it and and there's this process and, and it was beautiful how you described sort of that being close to death and the word surrender which can be one of those purpose type words right which is like what the fuck does mm-hmm. surrender mean like how do we mm-hmm. actually do the thing right and I'm always asking the question, how do you do surrender? How do you do the thing? And, and of course, people reflect back and go, well, you're just meant to be, right? Um, just just yeah. sit with it and connect with the energy and stop trying to think your way through it, right? Um, but so, so just go back for a minute to any techniques that you know that work for you. Is it affirmations? Is it meditation? Is it so, so like what works for you to just keep you uh, reminding yourself of that Faith, love, uh, sorry, fear versus love um, paradigm and surrendering, letting go, like letting the thy will be done thing happen. Like what are the things that, that work for you? Two things have stuck. I've done a lot of different techniques in my time, you know, all the India travels and I was in mantras and meditation and yoga and um, you name it, I've done it, uh, especially having that cross-cultural idea, did Buddhist techniques and I just like everything. But what has stuck for me, what has, and, and, and actually all roads lead to Rome. They all work. I'll just say they all work. There's nothing that doesn't work if you apply it. You can practically take any self-help book off the shelf. And, and if you really get into it and do the work, you're going to get some results, yeah. right? But for me, it's about speed because I don't know. I like speed. The, the God likes speed. There's something about, about momentum and about, you know, when, when you have, uh, when you raise energy and then and then you're inspired again to help somebody else raise energy and then next thing you know somebody's helping you do it and 
yeah. I'm in I'm in one of those flurries right now where it's like people helping people and all this partnership going on. Really, really beautiful. Um, so, darn it, what was your question? <laughs> so, so you said there were two or so techniques. Oh, the two things stuck with you. I'm back. Yeah, exactly. So, so the first one is is how I saved my life working with archetypes, the the blueprint that 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 is a basis for everybody's reason to be on this planet in the first place. That that uh, you know, I've written I've written recently a, a very extensive article on exactly what are archetypes. I've I've worked for a long time with them now, assuming people know what they are. So I definitely invite uh, anyone to visit my website and and just it's what are archetypes. You can just Google Beth and what are archetypes and find that article. Um, but it's, it's like an emotional, spiritual blueprint. I'm writing a book right now about all of this, by, by the way. And, uh, so, so we're blueprinted and, and then this, it, it immediately shows us where we're in fear because luckily there's been so much work done in the archetypes. We can recognize that it has a signature voice when it's in the unconscious mm-hmm. and you can just see right away. I knew I, I could see I was a rebel without a cause dying from that. It was like bling, you know, thanks to the work of Carl Jung and all the people that came uh, after him to do that work. It's like a script. Archetypes are scripted. They're predictable. You know, at the, at the surface, there are personality traits, our personality traits. And then at the depth, it's the soul's purpose that's going on with those archetypes. So, so this becomes an... Just notice and navigate when the fear side may be showing up, which before perhaps it was... Uh, hidden under reasons, excuses, all, all the rest of it. So that if you know, then that's the first step to being able to do something about it. Right. Know thyself. And if you don't see something, there's absolutely no way to deal with it. So, so number one, the seeing. And, and in seeing, there's a huge release. You, I think you've kind of been seeing it, right? Like the lights go on and all of a sudden there's more energy, right? So, so I, I didn't, I didn't finish the job by working with archetypes, but I reclaimed so much energy from the, the parts of myself I was suppressing very, because that's what costs us the most energy of all is suppressing parts of ourselves that we don't love or, you know, haven't been loved. We've been taught to dislike them or think bad about them. Our society's invested in making us hate ourselves at a lot of levels. So this is something that everybody struggles with. Right. And, uh, yeah, so so it's like the the shadows half gone. You reclaim a lot of energy. I survived cancer that way. So there's it, it, it's it's a very big process and technique that uh, you know every time a client has a light go on, it's like woohoo, right? Like there's, it's just so exciting. Yeah. And and then for the other half to continue working, I've adopted a process called releasing, a very generic process that's based in the work of Lester Levinson. He was a very high roller in the 1950s, an entrepreneur, a physicist, an engineer, absolutely genius, brilliant guy. And, uh, but he was suffering. He was, he was like my ideal client now, my ideal ma- male client now, that uh, he had everything. He had all the money and the women and the fame and, and that kind of thing, but he was dying. He got a, a diagnosis of a, a double heart attack and his doctor said, you're not going to survive, go home, get your affairs in order. It, it's over for you. But he's so smart. He's going like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. There must be some way I can figure this out. And uh, so he had the instinct to let go of all of his feelings that were not love. And he was successful in 90 days. He, he did it and he did the job completely. He was so highly motivated. 
he gained his freedom like like Jesus or Buddha, however, you know, whoever we consider to be enlightened. He went on to teach, he went on to, to develop a method that could be taught, not just by him because he didn't want to be the guru. Uh, he, he, he wanted it so it, anybody could teach it, so that it was so simple that it was accessible. So this is something that I had my first business coach when I was struggling to get back, you know, because I, 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 I rejected business altogether. I made it, I demonized it. I was in the spiritual arts for 10 years, but I'm not going to get a job. Like that's, for some reason, that's just not an option for me. I was pretending not to be in business. Um, People would always go to me, oh, Beth, you're such an amazing. And I, I wanted to, I wanted the next word to be like teacher, singer, artist, you know, something like that. Right. And they'd say, you're, you're so amazing at marketing. And I'm like, <laughs> tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I re-embraced my business experience, folded that in. And, and my, birth, my first business coach taught me how to release to get past the, the fears and the obstacles because I had a ton of them in, in being in business for myself as myself. Uh, and, uh, and I saw, I saw like many miracles every time I was deliberate and made the decision to let go of, uh, some kind of fear, I would get money from nowhere. I get a client would just show up some kind of proof of this, of this process that is again, faster than anything I've come across because it gets at the underlying programs underneath the feelings that's why we, you can feel like you let that fear go a thousand times and it's back again. It's because it's like a dandelion. It's got roots. And that's how we secure. We secure. That, that's just a really good point just because people are looking for quick fixes or hacks, right? And so it's, um, you know, is there an affirmation or a thing I can say that will aid me in this letting go of fear thing? And, and, and perhaps there is. I'm, I'm curious, but what you're saying is it's not a one-time thing, right? You've got a lifetime of conditioning and fears that have been building up, but it's about a mm-hmm. process. Like, t- talk me through just one example. So with your own personal life, so you've got something going on, you notice that it's fear, what do you do? Just for you personally, is it an internal process? Is it writing something? What do you do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, uh, so the first thing, the recognition, right? Okay, I'm, I'm in a state of fear. Stop trying to escape it. Stop trying to run from it. Sit and be with it. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, giving the fear permission to actually be there because that's the, that's the biggest cost of energy is wanting to get rid of it. Uh, or pretending it's not there. So put it, trying to squash it under something. That's right. That's right. And so once, once you give it permission to be there, it's like going into acceptance of it, just saying like, okay, so it's, acceptance is very close to surrender. You're, you're on the path already. Yeah. And, then, and then asking yourself the question, what program runs underneath this? And, and this, this is a training, right? So you can, you can get this uh, intellectually. And then just so you know, there's you know, some practice. Uh, it's a very simple technique. Most spiritual people do not like it because it's too simple and there's no wiggle room for the ego. It, it doesn't have any thing flowery or ornamental to hang on to or, or to like sidetrack and divert off. It becomes like it's you and your, your apathy, your grief, your lust, your fear, your anger, um, your pride, even the higher emotions, courage, acceptance, peace. You're just face to face with it and, you're, and you've got that decision. Okay, do I want to hold on to this? either low or even high emotion energy, or do I want my freedom? 
Do, could I want my freedom even more than I want peace? More than acceptance, more than courage, more than success, more than all that. In making that internal choice. And it's practicing self-awareness, know thyself to, to see what's happened. I understand that the, the step before around the archetypes can just really help with that foundation piece so that the more yeah. you do it, the easier, the quicker you can recognize uh, when it's showing up because you know yourself so intimately and you're able to then uh, make a choice, a conscious choice about sort of letting it go in, in some way. Um, exactly. It's a discrimination, right? Because then you, you identify the program. There are, are three fixed, technically four fixed programs that are universal. That's what Lester's discovery was, was so, so valuable. And it, it boils down to one thing that we're running from death. Most people are not aware of their fear of death. I, I faced my death. And so I'm like, oh, done, you know, tick that off my list. <laughs> but no, I faced it to a certain extent. I reclaimed a lot of energy from that, but the job wasn't done. And so it, you make that conscious choice. Is, is this running from death? Is it, is it giving me more life energy or is it sucking the life out of me? You discriminate and you go, oh, spiral down and out, sucking the life out of me. But we're very convinced that those programs are protecting our lives. You know, one, one example that I always often use these days is around, do, do you have children, by the way, Petra? Okay, so you... So you'll know this example very well that, that as mothers or parents, we get afraid for our children. We get afraid for their life. And so we think that that's protecting them. Nope. It's, it's, They're surviving in spite yeah. of our fear. Yeah. Right? We're holding them in a low energy, a low vibration. We're holding ourselves in a low vibration. We're also holding them there. And we're pulling in, you know, so it's an act of bravery when you feel like that fear is protecting either your life or your child's life. Uh, it's incredibly hard to let go of. So, so you just discriminate. Is this actually doing the job that I wanted to do? And then when you say, no, I see you now, I see that. And then, and then you make the decision, okay. And then it becomes a somatic thing. It becomes, it becomes like a body process where you, you make that decision, okay, I want my freedom more than I want to hold on to this fear, and then like open up wide, give it permission, right? You can release at any moment, you're, you're, you can be in a state of release. That's the beauty compared to a lot of spiritual practices that you need to be in a certain you know, position or in a certain like quiet place. Or, but I can release right now in this discussion, I can be uh, opening up and letting go of fear at the somatic level. It, it is a practice. It's something that takes some time to learn and, and, and gain that adeptness at it. But once you let go, then whatever you were looking at, whatever situation you were dealing with, and this I saw 100% turnaround. So I've seen, I've seen miracles in my business, with, with finances, um, with my own health, but, but then with my child, right? This, this was amazing to let go of the fear that I had for him. I didn't even think that's my fear, but it was as if for him, but really it's my fear. It's a, a major path of self-responsibility. I, I thought that there were things wrong with him and things wrong with his dad and something that needed to be fixed. And it was just getting us into conflict. And my son moved out of my house and, you know, like it was, it was a bad situation. So I, I was highly motivated to, to deal with this and let it go. And a very special coach to me helped me through this. I let the fear go and it was absolutely 100% turnaround. All of a sudden, 
this kid is um, wanting to be around me, very loving, beautiful with me, suddenly trusting me again like he hadn't before, coming to me with his problems, which is like amazing as you probably know as a parent how much we want that to, to be able to support our children. Um, you know, so it was, it was just so affirming. And then, and then every time you do it and you get those results, you know, so I know by now, even if the worst is coming up that I feel like I'm dying, I feel like I want to kill myself. I feel like it's all the gory stuff. I'm dying. I want to kill myself. I want to kill you, right? This is the, the, the makings of the unconscious. It's a real shit show in there. Primal, yeah. Yeah, I got a different meaning for the word primal, by the way. I, I, re, I reclaimed that one. I, I, I don't believe that that's about fear, to tell you the truth. Okay. I think primal is, primal is about love, too. That, that's a lie. Oh, yeah, that's it, weird, that, it's, that it's about both, but it is about our initial reaction. Anyway, let's not go into that debate because we haven't got that. <laughs> we'll have to have yeah, we, episode two on what primal is. Maybe when your book is out, we'll have to, to, to get you on. Totally. To, to Absolutely. More depth. Um, so because we're, we're, we're short on time, I'm curious um, if somebody were to take, so sort of your client wanted to take one first step into finding their purpose or discovering, you know, their, their way on this path, what advice would you give to them? So just that one initial step, what's a takeaway? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, for example, you can visit my website and do an archetype quiz. Okay, great. Because it gives you, now, if you're, if you're that kind of person that wants to serve with your life's work, that wants to know the value of your life's work, that you want to survive your purpose, you want to thrive inside that, then then this archetype quiz will give you the clue about where you are on the journey right now. Um, it's it's intensely complicated. Three years looking inward to to my inner life showed me that it's like wow in there. Yeah. There's there's no end to the depth and the complexity. So by by being able to simplify it. So you can take a five-minute quiz, learn your one archetype where you are on what I call the Merpreneur's journey right now or the King Hero's journey if you're a guy listening. is I've got a different version for you. Uh, so you learn where you are. You, you get a reference point. It's kind of like coming into the mega mall and, and you get the you are here yeah, thing. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and you're still all the places. We're all the archetypes at the same time. But it gives you a place to begin. And if you can see something about yourself, especially a shadow, like it's great if you see how, how wonderful you are, but you don't learn anything from that. It's, it's better to identify a shadow where you're losing energy and you make that decision. I'm not going to lose energy that way anymore. That's, it, it, sounds, it sounds too simple, right? And, and yet it's there. I love simple first, first steps. And of course, the human condition is, is complex. And there's so many, as you said, all roads can lead to Rome in certain ways, like different people, mm-hmm. different uh, styles of learning, you know, uh, and, and different uh, sort of ways of getting to these sorts of truths. But I love that as a starting point. So uh, what, what's your website? Let people know where they can find you. For sure. It's bethmartins.com, B-E-T-H-M-A-R-T-E-N-S.com. And uh, the quiz is right there on the front page. It's five minutes. It's totally free. You get instant results. And, uh, and there's an opportunity, by the way, you'll also see that uh, if you are interested to go deeper with this and get a handhold in the process, God bless you if you can do it on your own. It was, uh, I've always been a, a fan of mentors. Then there's an opportunity to apply to work with me one-on-one in a 30-minute session to talk about that archetype that showed up. Um, one of my favorite things... 
Am I, uh, sorry, what is that? I was just saying amazing that you could then ch- mm. chat in more depth about that specific one. Right, right, exactly. And, uh, and then there's a whole journey behind it. That's the basis of the book that I'm writing right now to show. One of the purposes is actually to show men and women how the identical journey, right, is archetypal. That means that every human being on earth is going through it. It's, it's the hero's journey, if, if you know about it. It's my version. I take total license in this work because everybody else is. I'm like, okay, I'll just do, I, I go inward, I studied, and this is what I come out with. And, uh, and then, so it, you know, if we find our place on the journey, there's a lot of magic that can happen. You see, you see where you've left parts of yourself behind on the journey. You see how you may have not given yourself credit for challenges you've already overcome. You see the shadows that you're dealing with right now where you're losing your energy in this moment, how to reclaim them, pardon me, how to reclaim your energy. And you see what's ahead of you. Because otherwise we're walking with this blind, like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a real blueprint, as you said, through this, this whole way of learning. So I encourage you guys, I encourage listeners to, uh, we'll put the, the details in the show notes, but take the quiz, uh, get that initial information. If you do want a further 30 minutes with, with Beth, go ahead uh, and, and just go a little bit deeper on what the archetypes can be. I certainly am going to adopt my own version of the technique, which is figuring out how to make that conscious choice and, and notice fear when it's showing up. Because I do think that's what's impacting uh, my health concerns and, and my, you know, my, my lack of, not lack of joy, uh, the days when there's less joy in the journey, you know, I certainly get them in those dopamine hits, but um, just trying to steady that a little bit and, and look inward. And sometimes it's about slowing down to speed up, I think, uh, in order to practice self-awareness and nurturing our body but also our, our soul in connection with, with amazing people such as yourself. Uh, Beth, thank you so much for, for your time. And yes, do let us know when the book is out and we'll have you on again. Okay, absolutely. A huge pleasure to work with you and, and speak with you today, Petra. Thank you so much for hosting me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. Please do subscribe and review on iTunes. Every comment makes a difference. We really appreciate hearing from you. And please do get in touch through PetraBelzebor.com if you're interested in any training, coaching, therapy, or just to join the community and get more information on ways that you can build your own resilience. Until next time.